Seinfeld. The wink is over, but we're just getting started here on the Seinfeld post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are undateable to both the deaf and the blind. I'm Rob Sister. Here's the Kiva Winokur. Kiva, how are you? You were four percenters. Yeah, we're in the four percent. Kiva, sorry to paint you with the same brush. Oh, no, listen, you know, we, we've, we've been through this ringer already. I, you know I don't have, like, a lot of self-esteem about, about stuff like that. Yeah. Anyway, listen, we're two washed-up guys anyway. What does it matter? Washed up, washed up. All right. Well, I guess that does favor our chances with the blind. I feel like they could see right through it. No pun intended. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't think the blind got enough credit with uh, with Jerry and George. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Uh, who knows? But we will get through everything here in The Wink, where we talk about Jerry's sudden aversion to all things meat. Plus, Elaine dating the wake-up guy who has some dogs. George getting involved with uh, some pulp in the eye, causing him to wink. And Kramer tries to get a birthday card back from a sick boy in the hospital and promises him that Paul O'Neill will hit not one, but two home runs in a jam-packed episode of Seinfeld. And by my count, I got 31 different scenes in this episode. Uh, yes, the most we've had in any episode. Uh, my count was uh, 34, but again, there's a lot of flipping back and forth immediately so yeah we go back and forth from jerry's watching the baseball game and then back to kramer then back to jerry and back to so i I don't know how to count those things but yeah a ton of scenes in this episode and a lot to get through here today kiva we are recording this on the uh 4th of july before i head out to chicago this week for the podcast movement and the rehab and you and I just recorded our last episode of The Maestro this past Thursday. I feel like that this is the quickest turnaround we've ever done between two episodes of this podcast. Uh, yeah, and we don't have notes for like when we recorded them, but I was looking through the iTunes, and we've never skipped a week fully. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do see the season three finale we recorded on March 7th of 15, and then we didn't record that next week, and I believe on the next Monday, or or at some point that week, we recorded the... Uh, the hiatus episode where I ranked the uh, the musty TV shows like Suddenly Susan. Yeah, so that was the nineteenth, and then two days later we dropped the trip, the the the, the uh, two part um, premiere of season four. So okay. I get, I don't, I don't, I, that may have been just two days apart, but anyway, that's that's our longest gap and our shortest break between episodes. Twelve day gap and two days between posting. All right, well, we should be locked in from just talking about the maestro only a couple days ago for us in real life. Yeah, I still got my headphones on. <laughs> okay. And then for next week, we will be back on our regular timetable, but we had to get this one out before I get out of town. Keith, before we get into the wink, anything you want to set up? Um, you know, first of all, is this the ep- how many times do you think you've seen this episode? I mean, I probably have seen it at least the first time. I remember actually the first time it was on when I watched it in real time, and I've probably seen it in syndication along the way, but definitely not in the last 10 years. Oh, okay. Because to me, I feel like this is, I've said this a couple times, but this might be the episode I've seen the most. Okay. Yeah. It's a fun episode. I do remember the promos leading up to this episode where it's like Thursday night on NBC Seinfeld. It's Pulp Friction. And they were trying (laughs) to say, uh, really build up a following on the hype of 1994's Pulp Fiction. Uh, Some say the greatest movie of all time trying to really uh, just uh, come in on the heels of that with Pulp Friction. Pulp Friction. I think the you know, it's all, the I've been watching because I was looking for the promos because I said it would be fun if we had the promo before every episode, but the season seven ones are not really accessible for the most part. But uh, some of them are terrible, like the, the Soup Nazi promo does not mention the Soup Nazi in it. Mm, they it's didn't, like, Elaine gets furniture. 
<laughs> yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Promo department is not always tapped in with the writer's room in terms of what's going to be big. Oh, no, they have no say. Like, and, and also, I think they like, like, they want to be sort of creative, but mm-hmm. they, they're not allowed to be. So I do think that that's how they take it out on, uh, you know, listen, we both like Survivor. And, like, they, on Survivor, the promo department loves, like, spoiling the entire episode every week. So Yeah. But for whatever reason, Pulp Friction has stayed with me for 21 years. <laughs> that, will, that will stay with me now for 21 years. Yeah, every time you see it, you can think about Pulp Friction. Although it didn't, it didn't make an, an impact on anybody else, because when you Google Pulp Friction, nothing comes up. Nothing. Seinfeld <laughs> Pulp Friction, it's, uh, it's not on Google. It's not even a triple X spoof of uh, the Tarantino film? No, and it, you know, it's also... Like, I, first of all, you may have fever dreamed this, to be fair. It's possible that I was, uh, you know, going into uh, maybe, you know, but I wasn't even in college yet, so I doubt it. Okay, how about this? Peter J. Borelli tweeted, I'll never forget the teaser for the episode that week. This week on Seinfeld, it's Pulp Friction. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, hmm. And I am looking at IMDb. Now, I don't know, maybe... Maybe do you have the safe search results uh, turned on? Because I am looking up Pulp Friction, and I am getting uh, some responses. On IMDb or on Google? Well, I see on IMDb there's a 1994 uh, film, and uh, I'm not sure what the rating is uh, for it, but uh, I believe could be uh, could be the X rating for Pulp Friction. Oh, okay. Dir- directed yeah, maybe by I the... Anthony Spinelli. And the writer is Mitch Spinelli. Uh, I'm assuming some relation. Uh, yeah, they're probably the same guy. Just using uh, nobody mm. uses the real name in that industry anyway. I don't think. Uh, and the lead in Pulp Friction is Blade Baron. Uh, that's Blade B A R A N, who is also on his IMDb page most known for. Uh, he starred in 1994's Foreskin Gump. <laughs> Okay. It sounds like this guy has got a specialty. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, uh, he also uh, starred in a, uh, I guess it must have been a Christmas film, uh, a takeoff of It's a Wonderful Life, uh, but they uh, were creative with the first word there. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So that's, uh, that's a great uh, Blade Bear. <laughs> Star. Of By Pulp the way, Friction. we could have a lot of fun just going through IMDb's of uh, those types of actors. Yeah. I feel like that could be a whole show. Yeah, uh, Foreskin Gump is uh, pretty incredible. I, I have not yeah, heard. I that mean, before. is that okay? Can can that be the hashtag? <laughs> can we lock that in right now? Two minutes in. Let, let's see how the rest of this goes. <laughs> okay, we'd have to go very well to beat that. I'm going to say, if we were covering the bris, I think then uh, certainly, certainly we would go with that. All right. Okay. So uh, let's get into talking about The Wink, which is from October 12th, 1995. Gamble and Pross back on the scene. Yeah, back at it. You know, another crazy fact about this episode, I was thinking like we are recording this on July 4th. In addition to being uh, Independence Day, is also the birthday of uh, someone in this very episode, George Steinbrenner. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He's fam- anytime there's like a famous people July 4th birthday. They always mention him because, like, I you know even remembered that uh, just in general. Like, it was always like uh, you know, I, I, there's not aren't a lot of uh, famous July Fourth birthdays, but George Thunder is one of them. Yeah, and there was the movie Born on the Fourth of July with Tom Cruise. 
Yeah. What about that? I, it was just a movie called Born on the Fourth of July. Oh, that's I guess that's true. Was that about George Steinbrenner? It I've was never not. Seen it. it was not about that. <laughs> so Steinbrenner would only be eighty six if he was alive. That's yeah. uh, I would have I would have thought he would be a little older. Yeah. Now, uh, gone too soon, the late, great George Steinbrenner. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about his appearance in this very episode. So then uh, let's get into talking about this. That We start off with Jerry uh, talking about stand-up and talking about the snooze alarm. Now, I have to feel like we've discussed the snooze alarm somewhere along the way on this adventure. Uh, who remembers anymore? Who remembers? Are you pro You heard one of these. You heard one, one, one. You know... I'm going to wait, make some like weird admissions. I'm first of all, I'm very bad at getting up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have done it. Like I once, you know, I once had a really long commute as a teacher and I set my alarm for like 515 every morning. Okay. Um, so I have done it, but uh, my wife wakes me up. I, I can't set an alarm. And if I set an alarm, I will not hear it. Yeah. I used to do it like when I was in probably, I don't know if I was in high school or college, and then I had a roommate in college, and the guy would like set the snooze alarm for like four hours, just like hitting the snooze alarm. It was so irritating, and now I, I don't do it. My my problem is not that I fall back asleep, which might happen, you know, one out of a hundred times. My problem is that you know I just start looking at things on my phone, and then I spend like fifteen minutes looking at like every stupid thing on my phone to procrastinate getting out of bed yeah we've all been there my problem mm-hmm. is also because i you know i can't see without my glasses yeah so like when you when i wake up you still you, you're so groggy you can't see anything so it takes like it takes me at least four or five minutes before i would be able to do that mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's you know so i end up not doing you know it's it's a little trickier for someone without their glasses if you get like typo riddled tweets from me sometime around five thirty a.m Pacific time. That's usually where, you know, this is me procrastinating. I don't want to exercise. Uh, let me just, oh, I got to answer, respond to all these tweets like happened when I slept. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. I have a good idea of when you wake up. I'd say it's usually, <laughs> it's usually, and anyone who follows you on Twitter could figure it out. It's usually, I'd say, 522 a.m. <laughs> that's when you wake up. Why? I think, How do you say that? Wait, that? That's when you notice. No, you'll, I'll see, like, oh, Rob just started liking tweets. Yeah. <laughs> Very predictable. You know, he, when I get the notifications and I, it's always like, wow, he's up early and it's always like a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little bit. You're little trending bit. towards you're trending in the wrong direction. No, it's you're good. trending it's back good. towards 6 a.m. That's when I'm really killing it, where I'm starting to wake up closer to five. That's really where we're, we're doing you're a good killing job. it with the misspelled tweets. Well, with getting up and getting out of bed. Really, if I was really killing it, I wouldn't be even looking at Twitter until breakfast. But then, uh, you know, what fun is that? I mean, if you were like Warren Buffett killing it, you wouldn't even have Twitter. Probably. So it, it's just yeah. different levels of killing it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So then in terms of uh, when I'm actually really bad, when I'm procrastinating, the most is when I'm like, I think it's fine to be replying to things on Twitter, but it's like when I'm really like, well, what is everybody else saying? That's when I'm really procrastinating. I'm like, I'm not just like taking care of like my inbox. I'm also like out, like actively seeking like what's everybody else tweeting about this morning. So scrolling through your 2000 followers. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's where we're really. Well, that takes a long time. You have 2000, you follow 2000 people. Okay. So in this episode, we start off with Elaine in bed. She has the wake up service guy calling her up. Does the wake up service still exist? Wheels. That's a good question. Uh, I, I'd say yes, but not. it's not in vogue. I, I, I bet it would be insane. For like, You know what I will do sometimes to wake up? What's that? I will leave uh, my computer on in the room, on you know everything off, but the volume on super loud, like with the speakers in, and I'll turn on like online alarm clock or cuckooclock.com. I do e.e. 
ggtimer.com. Okay, but it's all the same deal. And actually, that, because that's louder than any alarm clock by the time you're factoring in like that on its highest level plus my speakers. Um, I, I just can't imagine why anybody would use some sort of alarm. I, I'd say it's mostly in hotels it's still being used. Oh, that's true. Uh, I didn't think about that. Uh, wake up service. I'm trying to I do a Google uh, for that. So there's a wake up dialer. It seems like everything is just automated where, you know, either you set things on your phone. I mean, you basically you have like, uh, hey, Siri, wake me up tomorrow at 6 a.m. I mean, that's it. For 6 a.m. Uh, you know, uh, what do you need a person for? Right. No. So I, I right. Like wake up, call me dot com, whatever these things are. I believe we're talking about um, like just very automated and it looks even free. Yeah. I mean, so. it seems like this is a pretty easy gig for James, the wake up guy. It looks like when you see his list, he's got like two calls to make. Yeah. I mean, James, I could I feel like this is not the first time he slept in. That can't be somebody's full-time job, right? He's got to just wake up, make those calls, and go to work. Yeah. Now, at what point do we get to Elaine with the guy who's going to run in the New York Marathon uh, with the AMPM? Is that this season or is that later? That's next That's next week. Next? Is it really? John Paul, yeah. Uh, oh, wow. So, uh, uh, so it ties into this. Uh, yeah, yeah. We definitely continue the thread next week with this <laughs> oversleeping. Okay, good. I was going to say, this is re- very reminiscent, but I'm glad that these are back-to-back episodes that we're talking about. So here comes this guy, James, and this guy basically is just calling up Elaine, and uh, he starts hitting on her. And again, he doesn't know what she looks like. No. And by the way, just like further proof that he's bad at his job, like he makes calls and then he just spends all his time in- instead of, you know, talking to the people flirting with the ladies so clearly this guy's on the way out he's getting fired by the end of the week even Mm -hmm. if he doesn't oversleep yeah i mean he should probably be fired i mean he shouldn't be saying to elaine on the phone a woman with a sexy voice like yours it's hard to believe you're waking up alone i mean that's very suggestive it's not like hey you seem nice would you like to get coffee sometimes (laughs) yeah i mean i'm sure this giant company that does the wake-up calls has hr and he's getting called in tomorrow right this guy if the wake-up service did still exist in 2016 i think that this guy would uh be out of work that's probably fair okay all right, so we go to Elaine at Monk's. She's with Jerry and George, and she's talking about how, hey, wake up, guy. She's gonna, she has, feels very intimate with him. She's in her pajamas. She's talking to him in bed. She's going to go out with him. She says the word nighty, which is a gross word. That, that's a gross word. Interesting. Nighty? Nighty is gross. It's like a little old fashioned. A little shall I give you that, but you, it's gross. It's, it's not like attractive. Like if a woman said to you, I'm going to be in my nighty. Listen, listen like what what woman is saying this to me, <laughs> Wheels Wieneker? <laughs> I don't know. Like, Believe me, from what I'm hearing, like uh, yeah. you, this is I, I take I'll be wearing a nightie. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you'd have to be into grandmas to hear it, though. Yeah. OK. All right. Well, I'll let you know when I hear that. So Jerry <laughs> says a blind date uh, and uh, Elaine mentions the fact, well, you're going out with my cousin Holly. That's a little bit of how do you do? You know, attack that plot point in there yeah they really squeezed it in yeah <laughs> try to make it sound smooth like uh the grapefruit pulp just like uh really uh, fresh squeeze get that plot point in of jerry's gonna date elaine's cousin in this episode but jerry claims to have seen pictures of her so what's jerry like hey who is this uh, attractive cousin of yours Les, can you set me up right but it makes sense that he didn't really know she existed even though he's known elaine so long just because they established that their their poor relationship and their families really might be like always bickering. Perhaps. So Elaine says, yeah, but he's at least heard her. 
so that this isn't a blind date, uh, that this is a uh, a deaf date for for Jerry. Yeah, I, and this is a silly question that they argue about here, right? About would you rather date the blind or the deaf? Yeah, and, and not not blind or deaf. I, I don't want to get into like would you rather date a blind person or a deaf person, but the idea of someone you've seen versus someone you've only heard. That's a slam dunk, right? What you would always go with the person that you've heard. I mean, because I feel like, what well, what would you say? Because I don't know if it's a slam dunk. How bad would someone's voice have to be for that to be like a deal breaker? Well, I think that you could probably just have like a rapport with somebody on the phone and know whether or not you're going to hit it off with them more so than in terms of like just looking at a picture of them. It's not like you're listening oh, to so a Oh, so you're saying you're not just talking voice. You're talking conversation. Yeah, I mean, she's been talking to this guy on the phone. It seems like she feels like, okay, well, this guy, see, and I seem like we're very compatible. Whereas opposed to you see a picture of somebody, it could be a bad picture or a good picture. Right. But let me, so how about this? If you called someone up and had a bad, had no chemistry on the phone. You could chalk it up to like, all right, I'm not a phone person. Maybe she's not a phone person. Oh, phone I'm a phone person, baby. <laughs> all right, but maybe the other person's not. Okay. So like, if it's me, I'm thinking like, okay, fine. It's not a deal breaker. You know, it's not like if if we had a bad phone conversation and someone's trying to set us up, I'm not going to be like, eh, let's not go out. You know, I'll still try and go ahead with the first date. If you Whereas, had a picture, you're saying. No, that's no picture. That's the just phone conversation. That's the just voice mm. argument. Versus I don't know. If, if you have a bad phone just... conversation, you're still going to go out on the date? Well, what does bad mean? You get into an argument, she says something like really racist? Like that's that's different than no chemistry. It's just awkward. No chemistry. Who has chemistry laughing? on the phone? I, you can have chemistry on the phone. I, I've been married 12 years almost, and I, my wife and I don't have chemistry on the phone. Oh, well, that, please. <laughs> Uh, that 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 is hardly the uh, killer argument in this case. That's that's fair. Do you and your what wife? Chemistry? Do you have phone chemistry with your wife? Do you do you like do you have good phone conversations? No, no, okay, no. Uh, I can't recall the last good phone conversation. Um, but I think I think um, if I if you showed me a picture, and for whatever reason she wasn't my type, then I'm gonna say absolutely not. I won't go out with her because I know this. Like even if she's got the greatest personality in the world. She's not my type. Not to sound too shallow, but like that could that'll ultimately be a bigger deal breaker than just a awkward like five minute interaction on a phone. Okay. You could recover from that. I don't think you could recover from not being attracted to somebody. Mm, I don't know. Uh, well, let's not get too caught up on this. We'll let the listeners uh, weigh in on what they think about this. So uh, anyway, they get into a whole thing about would you rather date the deaf or the blind probably uh something that uh is uh probably either both sides of the argument are probably offensive to many oh yeah i feel like blind people did not uh come off well in this episode yeah that jerry says he thinks it's easy he would much rather date the deaf because he thinks that the blind would be messy george would rather date the blind because they wouldn't know that he's unattractive it's funny i think the blind can't be messy because then everything needs to be in a proper place or else if you leave something on the floor or whatever they trip over it like i have uh, growing up i had a blind neighbor and like you always had to shovel the driveway immediately because if he needed to leave the house you know and also like you could never leave spots because he wouldn't know he's walking with a cane Mm -hmm. uh you know although he did i think say to me once like oh yeah i have to i know to like avoid your house because you stink at shoveling (laughs) but um (laughs) uh but you know what i mean they need everything to be proper yeah. Whereas a deaf person, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. About Are that. you implying that Jerry and George don't know, like, the finer points of dealing with people with a disability? Yeah, I don't think they, <laughs> this would have flown in 2016. I don't know. And I don't know if they do or don't. I don't know if, like, certain 
groups, minority groups or disabled people groups have like good advocates. Mm-hmm. And I've just never heard of like a blind advocate. Maybe they just have a good sense of humor. So they don't need, you know, about themselves. They don't need one. But I've never, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've never heard like blind people are outraged about this offensive comment. Mm, yeah. Interesting. Uh, well, I'm sure there's something if we uh, look hard. Oh, no question. Yeah. I'm sure there is. But, uh, okay. but I, you know, they don't get too worked up usually because I've never heard. They're never like in the news. Okay. So, Keeve, all of a sudden in this episode, Jerry has taken sort of a very radical approach to his diet and is trying to eat healthy. He orders a veggie sandwich and a grapefruit here. At, I, I'm assuming this is lunch. So what what's happened here? I feel like that here's this thing about Jerry, which is a radical departure. And there's really no motive for it other than he says, well, I'd like to be healthy. Yeah, it doesn't make like it's fine in and of itself. But there's right. There's no reason. Like we've talked a lot about self-improvement in the first few episodes of season seven. More George than Jerry. But Jerry is like clearly on team. I'm not interested in self-improvement. Mm-hmm. So for Jerry to be become a vegetarian, you know, it just further it just, you know, clearly to further the plot here because there's no reason within the context of the series for it i mean it's not even like jerry stepped on the scale and it's like oh i you know i weigh five pounds more or i can't fit into my 31 waist pants or whatever whatever the issue is that jerry just all of a sudden he's eating grapefruit and a veggie sandwich and he uh, digs into the grapefruit and the grapefruit projectile ends up in george's eye uh, yeah, really, you know, the whole the whole pulp thing with with uh, pulp can fly here is uh, one of the more legendary lines of the whole <laughs> pulp friction. So we see George at Yankee Stadium with Mr. Wilhelm and they want to know where is Morgan? All of a sudden, Morgan is like a real persona non grata at Yankee Stadium. Uh, yeah, it really. Yeah. Morgan is like, you know, we we this episode gets blamed on George, but clearly Wilhelm is looking for reasons to, you know, to to axe Morgan from day one of this episode. Why? I'm not sure, but he may, you know, I, I we don't know. It's it, it's not related to, like, I guess he oversleeps uh, to start the episode here. Because mm-hmm. they say, like, you didn't oversleep again. Yeah. But it seems like that but, Morgan seems like a upstanding, fine Yankee executive in all of the previous times that we see him. Yeah. But I, I guess Wilhelm is just a mean boss. Yeah. He's really got it out for Morgan. And so George says, Morgan, no, he's doing a great job and does the wink. Uh, yeah, I, I, I want to track as, as, you know, we go further in this episode. There's a few times where they missed opportunities for winks, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, OK. I do think we should really rewrite some of this episode as we go along. All right. So we go back to Jerry and Elaine in Jerry's apartment and they're talking about how, well, I can't believe you're going on a blind date. And Elaine isn't worried because he sounds attractive. Keeve, are you buying into the person can sound attractive or not sound attractive? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, when uh, I don't want to throw her under the bus, when uh, the wives of one of the listeners and emailers mm-hmm. heard my voice for the first time, I, this this emailer told me, he said, oh, my wife said, "Ooh, he sounds like a very attractive man from his voice. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. But when this when this person met me, I did not get the same thing afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, I'm interested because I feel like that a lot of people do see, like I'm not sure if I have that where people like I feel like that for the most part, people who listen to the podcast already know what I look like. I'm interested to get what the reaction is if somebody just hears me on the podcast. Right. I, right. It would have to be someone because your face, your face is all over your social media. So if somebody finds you via 
Facebook or Twitter. I'm sure there's people, yeah. That, that, or uh, or they know first. you from TV. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't, people are, uh, you know, we're starting to get... out on your face and voice. Right. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so Elaine says she can tell. And then Jerry gets into what percentage of people would you say are good looking? Elaine says 25%. Jerry counters, no, it's like 4 to 6%. 20 to 1 shot. Keeve, where do you land on this? You know, you almost have to define good looking because good implies like above average, right? Mm-hmm. So it can't be, we're already starting at under 50%. The, to me, it's also like, are we, are we including, is it just like all of the population? Are we including old people? Are we including young people? Like if we're just saying like, what about everyone who's in their 30s? Let's just take everyone in their 30s. Okay. Then what percent? I, I, it's definitely more than four to six. Four yeah. to six is absurdly low. I think that Elaine's probably closer to the yeah, mark. I think 25% is probably correct. Yeah. 20? If you wanted to say 20, I wouldn't stop you. Okay. Yeah. No, Jerry's being very unfair here. Uh, he says, now, have you ever been to motor vehicle? And uh, that's uh, <laughs> most of that population is undateable. Undateable, he says. Anyway, so then here comes George. And uh, Elaine is like really all over his case. Again, uh, the friction between George and Elaine over these couple episodes uh, cannot be understated. And uh, he's like, what are, you, she, what are you doing with your eyes? He's like, nothing. I'm not doing anything. And she says, no, you're winking. And it's obnoxious. Yeah. So, right. George did not know that he's been winking until now. Yeah. And he realizes it. And he puts it all together very quickly about it. it's pulp. The pulp, he must have gotten the grapefruit in his eye. Uh, and Jerry says, no way. That's, uh, you know, the pulp can't move like that. And, and George counters with a line that's on every best of and every sort of like Seinfeld highlight clip. Yeah, which is, uh, pulp can move, baby. Uh, yeah, who, you know, they're really, a, really a, a transcendent line. I think you're right. The, the, for whatever reason, George and Elaine decided in season seven that they hate each other. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it makes sense based on that Elaine has hard feelings towards George uh, that he's getting married. Yeah. And by the way, you know, Susan, I, I like to really rag on Susan. Uh, you don't even notice she's not in this episode. No, no, not missing Susan here. But anyway, so then... Uh, uh george ends up saying that mr wilhelm was acting so weird because of the whole thing with morgan kramer comes in and he brings up the idea that everybody is an archie character Keith, are you an archie guy big archie fan oh really i didn't know that yeah and i never read comic books but for whatever reason like someone once like uh like someone was older and like graduated high school and was like hey do you want my archie comics like a neighbor Mm-hmm. They gave me a box of like thousands of them. So I was just always reading them my entire childhood. They're good. Oh, you've never read an Archie comic? I've never read Archie comics. I think that there was some animated Archie thing at one yes. point that I looked at, but I was never really into it. So it's coming back. Uh, there, there is a TV show on the CW this coming year, an Archie show. Okay. Are you excited? Um, no. I, I mean, I've never watched a CW before, show before. I'll probably try it the first week. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, are they good? No, they're terrible. Like they're very campy. And I can't speak to them now. I haven't read the new ones, but like they're very campy and it's they're very no, they're terrible. But you keep reading them. I don't even know what to exp- how to explain it. They're like they're like rice cakes. Like I could eat a whole package of rice cakes. I could eat like 30 rice cakes in a day and not even realize I ate them. They're just like next to me at, at my desk. <laughs> yeah. And I keep pounding them until like, oh, my God, how did I finish like 20 rice cakes? That's impossible. Speaking of that. Elaine yeah. in this scene is eating a box of the previously aforementioned season seven delicacy, the snack wells. Yes. 
Another thing that you could just pound and not really notice. That's what the rabbi says. People will overindulge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and maybe that's why, you know, maybe Jerry's been doing that. And that's why he's going on the salad diet. Oh, you think that that's a good point? <laughs> All right. So uh, Kramer takes a look at the envelope that George has and says, hey, is that Don Mattingly's signature? What an eye Kramer has to spot uh, Donnie Baseball's signature uh, right there. Uh, and Buck Showalter's. And he says, yeah, that's for the card for uh, Mr. Steinbrenner. Kramer says he could sell it to his buddy Stubbs, who runs the memorabilia store. George tells him, no, absolutely not. You think I'm going to risk my job for that? And then does the wink. And then Kramer uh, picks up on the wink, says, uh, oh, yeah, and of course not. And then he winks back. Uh, cut yeah. to Kramer at the memorabilia store. Yeah, and cut to George not realizing that he lost this card right away. Yeah, you would think that he would realize it. I mean, because Kramer has the envelope and the card. You would think that George would be a little more careful with George Steinbrenner's birthday card. And Kramer thinks it's just an envelope. Like, Kramer doesn't even look inside till he gets to Stubbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So there you go. Uh, Kramer is at the memorabilia store, and he's trying to, you know, sell an envelope to the guy. And Stubbs isn't really into it. But then they find the birthday card for George Steinbrenner signed by the whole Yankee organization. And they say, okay, this could be worth something. Yeah, he says that the Yankee team, I think, right? Mm-hmm. But I am just, it's just, it was always weird to me. Like, it, it diminishes the value of the card to have, like, Morgan and Wilhelm and George Costanza signatures on this, on this card. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, when you have Mattingly and Tartable and Jeter and Buck Showalter. And then Randy Levine. Right, and you get the Randys and the Cashmans <laughs> and... Uh, and the Swindells and this, but like why, you know, it's, it's, it's literally halves the value of this card to have the extra names on it. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe it would have been worth $400 if those guys didn't sign it. Yeah. Did he get ripped off also $200, $200 for the entire Yankees team? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, that seems like pretty cheap. Well, I guess that, you know, the Yankees, uh, still a long playoff drought, uh, still heading into the fall of 95. Yeah, that's true. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, we end up seeing back at Yankee Stadium. Here comes Morgan with Mrs. Morgan. And uh, I'm not sure why Mrs. Morgan is at the office today. Uh, but uh, Mr. Morgan is going in to get his massage. And George ends up with a little bit of a wink that Mrs. Morgan uh, picks up, uh, thinking that maybe this is more than just a massage. Uh, yeah. And it's funny because like she's super mad as she's leaving, but... Not really saying, like, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Not happy. <laughs> Not happy. Boy, Susan took it a lot better when the rabbi said that George was out looking for prostitutes than Mrs. Morgan did after this, just this wink. Yeah, that's true. I mean, Susan is way more desperate than Mrs. <laughs> Morgan, but that, that's yeah. a fair point. I think Susan really is letting things fly. Yeah, nobody even has to wink uh, for Susan. And also, uh, Mr. Morgan is looking for the birthday card. Needs to sign the birthday card. He has not signed it yet. So Elaine is back at Monk's and she meets up with the wake up call guy. And uh, she is like very relieved that uh, he is not an unattractive man. I watched this episode with the notes about nothing on, which told me that this is Elaine's boyfriend number 31 for Mike Piazza. Wow. That was very very fitting. Okay. Elaine boyfriend uh, number 31. Uh, Then immediately after that, we see Jerry at the old homestead steakhouse where he is going to have they call it a lunch i feel like that a porterhouse here for holly is a pretty heavy lunch yeah and how are they uh yeah i mean if holly has a job how's she meeting him for lunch but <laughs> yeah this got to be dinner yeah and also coincidentally then 
Holly is Jerry's numerical girlfriend number 45, which I Ooh. believe that John Franco, who was wearing number 31, had to switch to when Mike Piazza became a Met. Oh, that's a good call. <laughs> so, I'd like, I'd like for, for... I was thinking, like, one of my like minor regrets from the series, like, in episode, like, one and two and three, we should have had, like, who's your favorite number one? Who's your favorite number two? Um... <laughs> But and we can't do that now because we're up to like uh, one fourteen or something, and there's nobody. No, it's like it would be who's your favorite referee, and you know whatever sport <laughs> goes above a hundred. Um, but yeah, now I want that from you going forward. I need, I need, I need like uh, Mets tie-ins to all these uh, numbers. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It ha- this has to be dinner because no one goes on a first date lunch to a steakhouse. That's an insane date. <laughs> I know, but they refer to it as a lunch later in the episode. Do they really? Yeah, I believe so. I believe that when. They talk about that he met Holly for lunch. I, I believe. I believe. So. Then, I, then I can't really rag on Jerry for ordering a salad for lunch. Yeah, I think that's not as bad. Yeah, and a steak with like all the fixins like she got. That's yeah. a massive lunch. Yeah, I'm pretty. And sure on a first date, when a lot of people are trying to like act natural, you know. Yeah, I kind of feel like though in '95. Yeah. Um, okay, so. Let me see. I'm, I just did a uh, search for uh, the lunch. Yeah. So Jerry asked Elaine later in the episode, did she mention anything about our lunch? So I, that, according to Jerry later in the episode, it was. No, she lunch. would know better than us. She was there. We're <laughs> yeah. just watching afterwards. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so who knew? So, yeah, not as big of a deal. But I wonder if maybe more of a stigma in 1995 for a man eating a salad. Not that there's anything wrong with that. In 1995, as opposed to in 2016, where Jerry's health habits would be more commonplace. Yeah, look how progressive we are. Men don't have to feel ashamed to eat salads anymore. I, I eat a salad for lunch just about every single day. What's in your salad, though? A bunch of stuff. Uh, it's like a big salad with a bunch of stuff. Oh, a big salad? Yeah, oh, it's a big salad. Is there a protein in your salad? Yeah, usually some form of chicken. Okay. A lot no. of croutons? No, no croutons. Yeah. You go heavy on the dressing? No, I do like a oil and vinegar. Oh, that's not such a, that's pretty healthy lunch. It's pretty healthy, you know. Like I do, grilled chicken? Yeah, like I, I'll probably like, on a normal week, I'll like uh, grill a bunch of chicken and then just uh, have it for the week to put in the salad. Oh, look at you. That is a healthy lunch. Okay. Anyway, uh, so they're at the steakhouse and uh, Jerry says, you know, I'm not that much of a meat eater. Holly is horrified. You don't eat meat? Are you one of those... And Jerry said, well, no, I'm not one of those. Hey, look at vegetarians being thrown under the bus in 1995. Yes. Meat shaming. Yeah. Oh, man. PETA would be throwing <laughs> fake blood in your, in your face for writing this. Yeah. So Holly says that when she was little, her grandma Memo would take us to a matinee and then dinner here. Grandma Memo. Yeah. First and last we hear of Grandma Memo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, Holly uh, says also that Elaine, who hasn't mentioned Grandma Memma, did not care for Grandma Memma. I do like the dynamic here. It's very real to life. The idea of like two cousins whose families kind of don't get along and maybe argue over the love of like a grandparent or you know what mm-hmm. I mean? We yeah. all we all have something like this in our family that like so one grand, you know, grandparent favors this one over that one or cousins mm-hmm. you don't really you, you have nothing to do with oh, for some silly reason. Yeah. So Holly goes for a porterhouse rare. Uh, medium rare with baked potato and uh, Jerry uh, wants anything besides meat. Uh, he ends up landing with just the salad. Uh, what is the salad? What restaurant is? Uh, yeah, I'll just have the salad. Yeah, or maybe it's like the chef salad, the Cobb salad. But you know, you know what? Salads were so basic in yeah. 1995 that it's not even crazy. 
So you think this is just like half a head of iceberg lettuce, and that's basically your uh, basic like uh, steakhouse like iceberg salad. Yeah, because the guy looks so disappointed. If it was like a real salad, he wouldn't be that like ashamed of Jerry. But yeah, maybe you got some like basic tomato cucumber type things in there. But it's we're t- most mostly talking lettuce here. Yeah. Okay. So we see Elaine on the street with James. He has a couple of dogs that are tied up. The dogs hate Elaine. Uh, yeah, really. It's funny because Elaine starts off the series being painted as this like animal lover, mm-hmm. and really the, the whole animal species is turning on her. Okay, uh, Elaine has a flashback to telling the other dogs uh, to shut up. So we go back to Yankee Stadium, and Morgan is uh, is really you know he he's gotten in trouble again with his wife, and also Wilhelm is uh, really busting his chops because apparently that somebody is selling him out, that he's been late again. I mean, there aren't a lot of people it could be. George has to be a prime suspect here. <laughs> yeah, he should be. <laughs> but anyway, so hey, George tells him don't be late again because Wilhelm's really uh, really on your case. Uh, yeah, and Wilhelm at this point, Morgan thinks that George is his buddy. Yeah. Okay. And so George has a card for Elaine's wake-up service. Now, Keeve, did I miss something? When did George get a business card from Elaine's wake-up service? It's a good question, but I do think everyone in the 90s was just, like, handing out their their business cards left and right. Mm-hmm. The question is, why is it on his desk? But, yeah, yeah. no, there, I still, even now, I have, like, every time I open my wallet, there's, like, two business cards that I want to throw out. But I'm like, eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we know that George does have the giant wallet. Yeah, George doesn't throw stuff out. It's weird that it's on his desk, but, again, his desk is a mess. So, mm-hmm. yeah. who knows? So, perhaps maybe somebody threw a bunch of these business cards on a table at Monk's and Elaine grabbed one and George just happened to have one also. Yeah, I mean, this isn't implausible. Yeah. All right, we'll go with that. Anyway, so Mr. Morgan also is still needing to sign that birthday card. Uh, yeah, and George still has no idea where it is. All right, so Elaine and Jerry are at Jerry's apartment. They're wrapping up a Scrabble game. Do you find that to be plausible, Jerry and Elaine just playing Scrabble in the middle of the day? You know, they do play some board games. It's, it's a little weird, but I, why not? Okay, so Elaine is mentioning about the dogs are growling at her. Jerry says maybe all the dogs heard about the other thing, and that's why they're mad. They like to gossip. Uh, it, I mean, I do. Dogs do have some sort of ESP. I do yeah. think they could like pass along their hatred of people to another person. Dog. Now, very odd. A whole Scrabble game has gone by, and no mention of what was Elaine's feedback from Holly after Jerry went on the lunch date with her. This is the first time it seems to come up. Jerry wants to know. Did Holly mention our lunch? And Elaine is very cagey, very evasive. You think this would have been the first thing that came up the second Elaine came into Jerry's house, you would right? Think so I mean, unless they were just talking about the blind date and the dogs, the entire game of Scrabble. That's possible. I mean, I don't think it's possible. That, and maybe like, it was like a two-second. Maybe they opened up the Scrabble. They got there, and they're like, "Who wants to play Scrabble?" Yes. And then, and yeah. then we they put it away, and then they've only been there for thirty seconds. Very and then plausible. The scene picks up. I think so. And Elaine says that Holly thought it was strange that he just ordered a salad, you know, for a man. Really, you know, we we, we spend all of our time here pounding the pavement on, you know, gender and stuff like this. And then this this episode comes along and really sets us back many years. Okay. Elaine says women don't respect salad eaters. Do you feel like as a, <laughs> a woman expert, Wheels, do you feel like that this is the case? Um, I mean, I eat salad and women don't respect me. So yeah, I don't, that's <laughs> by the transitive property. You know, that's I agree. Right. I eat a lot of salad, too. Uh, I feel like um, I, I don't know if I'm a representative sample or the two of us combined are, mm-hmm. but I'd have to say this is accurate from yeah. what I know. I think that you're OK if you are dining with a woman 
and she has a salad, I think it's okay for you to also have a salad. But I think that, you know, if I'm out with my wife and she gets a burger and then I say, I'm just going to get the salad, I think feel like there still is a stigma to that. Yeah. And I guess if some of our women like Elaine or or uh, Lindsay, we want to write in like I would I am curious if this is still a thing. Like if you go out to eat with a uh, fella, mm-hmm. are you intimidated if you order something bigger than him? Yeah, I think so. Unless it's like. Uh, the, like the the banya thing of like oh i just ate a hot dog right before i came here and i'll just have the soup i think that that's probably more acceptable than the you know i'm not I, i'm more watching my weight and i, I mean look I, I don't want to speak for everybody but i feel like that i think that w- and not because necessarily that it's a stigma that you're a salad eater but i think that at least from my wife's perspective it's like oh you're making me feel like I'm a pig because you're getting a salad and I'm getting a burger. So it's almost uh, discourteous to get the salad when somebody else is not getting a salad. Yeah, uh, it's a good point. I just, I don't know. I feel like we're past this as a people. Yeah, I think, <laughs> look, I think. I mean, go out to eat and order two mains next time you're with a guy. Yeah. See how they react. Yes, and we won't get into who's paying. Well, hopefully, uh, yeah, and hopefully they're still paying. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just, well, I'm just kidding. But I I yeah, that's good, right? Who pays now? I don't know. I'm, I haven't I don't paid know. in a long time. Anyway, but Jerry's getting very dramatic <laughs> about this whole thing, and so Elaine is going over there for dinner. Jerry wants to come, and uh, he says that he will be packing an artery. So uh, really, uh, very very dramatic about the you know uh, eating a meat dinner. He's really committed to having this meat until he sees the meat. Yeah, he also brings up the uh, like a quiche thing. A quiche. Yeah, not Kiev, not Kiev. Ha- you, are you pro quiche? Um, I'm not a big quiche guy. I'm not talking about anything about the whether it's manly or unmanly to eat the quiche. I'm just not a fan of it aesthetically. Yeah, aesthetically, the, like quiche is usually like a B minus. Mm, okay, you don't have like a terrible quiche, but it's never like I'm never going to a restaurant and ordering a quiche. Okay, so Kramer is uh, answering the door when George comes looking for the envelope. And so he ends up getting $100 uh, from the $200 that Kramer sold the birthday card for. And Kramer is very confused. Why do you want it back? You told me to sell it. Uh, And George says, no, it was the wink. Uh, And Kramer is thinking that they had an understanding. And by the way, Kramer taking 50% of this is questionable. Really? So what do you think he should have taken? Maybe a third. Finder's fee? Oh. A quarter to a third. Like, George got this card that's impossible to get. It's not like Kramer has this amazing hookup. Like, yes, he happens to know Stubbs, but George could have walked into the store and got the exact same price for it. I don't know. I think that we already have gone over this uh, with the raincoats at the used clothing store. Yeah. Like, they were Morty Seinfeld's raincoats. Uh, right. And, it, and like, hey, it should be 70-30. Like, and they ended up on 50-50 with that deal. So I think that sort of, like, the groundwork is laid for this deal on Seinfeld. All right, fair. All right. So... Kramer uh, gets uh, really chewed out by George, who says, uh, I was not winking, you idiot. <laughs> With the grapefruit, it's like acid. Uh, yeah, I mean, really, no effort is made by George to stop winking. And as far as we know, he never stops winking at the end of this episode. Yeah, well, he does hold his eyes open, really, at the end of this conversation, where Kramer says, wait, hold on, do you want me to get it back or not? Uh, and George just starts screaming, like, get it back. Yeah, I, you know, but but right, there's no sort of 
conclusion to the wink. No. I guess it just goes away after a while. I guess it goes away. All right. So we see Elaine at dinner at Holly's house uh, with Jerry. And the place settings are so nice with the napkins from Grandma Memma, who only put these napkins out on special occasions, not when Elaine's family came over. Yeah, I do have like when I when I go to my mom's house and she has company. There are many tiers of what sort of china she brings out. So I hear what they're saying here. Yeah. And so Holly has made mutton. Keeve, have you ever had the mutton? No, I only know mutton from this episode. Yeah. In my mind, it's probably fake. I don't know. No, it's not fake. It's a real thing, but I don't think it's a very common thing. I don't know if I've ever had mutton. I think it's like uh, some version of lamb. I'm not a big lamb guy. It's some type of sheep. Yeah. Uh, you know, you see mutton shops uh, famous for like, uh, you know, kind of sideburns, uh, but uh, mutton versus lamb. Uh, a sheep in its first year is called a lamb. The meat is also called lamb. Uh, but then the meat of an adult sheep is mutton. I didn't know that lamb was like veal. You didn't know lamb was like veal? Yeah. So a sheep in its first year is a lamb. Uh, so when you have lamb chops, I guess it makes sense because uh, then uh, when it grows up, it becomes sheep and it's mutton. There you go. So when lamb chops grow up, yeah, it becomes mutton. So if like that show got renewed for a second season, <laughs> it would become Mutton's Play Along. <laughs> I guess so. Remember how big that show was like back in the day? It was big. It was big. What lamb chop? Lamb chops play along. <laughs> you don't remember that in that show? Uh, I certainly remember Sherry Lewis and the puppet, but I don't uh, recall watching it. It was like a big deal. Um, yeah, I don't, and I don't know if Mutton's kosher, so I'm not even sure I have. Can, I can have Mutton. I really don't know. Okay, so uh, the mutton is being served, and Jerry's trying to make a big fuss about how delicious uh, the mutton is. Uh, We cut back to Kramer, who then is with the young boy, Bobby. Now, Bobby, according to the notes about nothing, appeared on the set of the stand-in when Kramer and Mickey were working on the soap opera. Yeah, there's only so many child actors that they could find like this. Yeah, And he's pretty good. I I actually think he's a good actor, this guy, and... He ended up having a real career. Yeah, he's, he does a good job. And so he's saying that he does not want to give the card back to Kramer. Of course, the card is framed now, and we don't know exactly what Bobby has wrong with him. He does say about how uh, it's apparently something with his legs about him where he can't walk, where when they have this conversation about where Kramer is trying to make a deal with him, that Bobby asks, oh, you want me to get up out of this hospital bed and walk again? And Kramer says, well, yeah, but, and, and that too. And I, I just need the, the card back. So we don't have a, a diagnosis on Bobby. It would probably make the scene less funny. Uh, who has more Twitter followers, you or Bobby? Well, I'm going to guess Bobby. Yeah, he's verified also. Yeah, wow. Look at him. What is he? 88,000. Thomas Decker. At the Thomas Decker, which I, I never like when people do the the. Yeah. Well, Tom Stecker is probably a common name on Twitter. According to the notes about nothing, it did say that he went on to work on a lot of things. So uh, not surprising that he's like a, you know, a working actor who, you know, has a good fan base. Yeah, he was in Backstrom, whatever that is. <laughs> okay. He was John Connor in the Terminator TV show. Wow. Okay. Oh, so uh, the, the Sarah Connor Chronicles? Yeah. Okay. So that's long, but yeah. Anyway, so. They start negotiating this deal to get the card back. And uh, anyway, Kramer asks, who's your favorite Yankee? And uh, the boy responds, Paul O'Neill. And Kramer says, what if I tell Paul O'Neill to hit a home run tomorrow just for you? Shouldn't Kramer have also like hedged his bet by saying like, what about, you know, and then come up with whoever the 
the number one home run home run hitter on the '95 Yankees was. Who was the number one home run hitter on the 1995 Yankees? I'm going to say it wasn't Paul O'Neill. Hmm. I'm trying to think uh, of the '95 Yankees because I kind of feel like that they loaded up with guys when the once they got to '96. Uh, yeah, no, Ernie you're right. Williams? They didn't hit any home runs in '95. He was the number one home run hitter. Yeah, and what do you have, like 18? 22. Bernie and Stanley had 18. Yeah, wow. I mean, that team did not hit any. They hit 122 home runs all season. They didn't need big stars. (laughs) They were a team. (laughs) Well... At 95, they were pretty good. They didn't, they didn't win it. But. They were pretty good. They were pretty good. Uh, but anyway, so now he says, okay, how'd you like Paul O'Neill to hit a home run? And he says, okay, could he hit two home runs? Yeah, I, Kramer should have just said no here. Mm, right. So Kramer maybe could have reached in his pocket and gotten some, you know, maybe made a, some cash or something like that. Like, you gotta feel like at some point, like the $200 for this piece of Yankee memorabilia like, I kind of feel like you could get some other piece of Yankee memorabilia to throw in there. I mean, George could probably get like, hey, how would you like a signed baseball from, you know, every single Yankee? Oh, yeah. They definitely could have countered. You know, Kramer must have been very confident that he could get this this picture back. Because, right. Because, th- right, there are a lot of ways that they could have made a trade, including involving the kid's parents, which was not on the table, apparently, for Kramer. Yeah. If this kid's weakness is Yankee memorabilia, it seems like we've got a good in for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. George could have he could have been up to his uh, his hospital bed in Yankee's memorabilia. <laughs> anyway, so we go back to the date at Holly's house and uh, talking about all of how delicious uh, the mutton is. Jerry says, uh, hey, salad's got nothing on this mutton. <laughs> a lot of puns in this episode. Yeah. And Jerry uh, says uh, that that's actually a line that my butcher uses when we're chewing the fat. And then uh, obviously Jerry is like uh, pointing out different things around the room. And then he's spitting the mutton into Grandma Memma's napkins. Yeah, which I again, they've clearly discussed their important napkins. But Jerry's really not concerned with anybody else. Yeah. And so Elaine ultimately gets mad at all of the Grandma Memma memorabilia that Holly has around her house. And she says, you know what? I'm getting out of here. And she takes Jerry's jacket that has the mutton in the napkins in the pocket. Yeah. And like Jerry, uh, I mean, I I guess he doesn't know that the napkins have any value. So I guess it's not really a big deal to him. Yeah. I don't know what he was planning on doing. If like, or maybe he was like, was he planning on just like when she went to the bathroom, tossing all the mutton into the garbage? I think so. That's what I would imagine. But I think that they missed an opportunity here where Elaine is trying to take Jerry's jacket. I think that if the concern is that Jerry is worried about being seen as effeminate from Holly, I feel like that they could have played into that where Jerry's saying like, hey, I need my jacket. Where Elaine is saying like, hey, let me take your coat. I think that maybe Holly might be able to like uh, give him like the side eye and then him saying like, well, you know, what, you, you take it. I'll be fine. I won't be cold. Right. right. He's got to be super manly here. Right. Right. <laughs> so anyway so we see elaine then we follow her on the street as dogs uh chase her with the mutton in her pockets yeah i don't know much about dogs but i guess they love mutton they love mutton and so holly is like hey where are all the napkins there's two of these napkins missing and elaine must have stolen grandma memma's napkins uh yeah that's why she ran out of there because she didn't really give a reason to run out of there so fast mm-hmm. yeah all right, so uh, we see Elaine continuing to be chased by the dogs. Uh, she ends up running to James's house. Now, do, how does she know where James lives? I mean, it could have come up on a date. Like, you mean, have they had a second date that we didn't know about yet? I don't think so, because we'd be getting into, like, maybe they wouldn't be sleeping at the toe anymore. It's a good question. Yeah. Uh, it, right. It, maybe she, like, call, when we're not looking, she, like, calls him on a payphone. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. 
So anyway, she gets to the guy's house and she needs to sleep at his house. I'm not really sure why she can't just go to like get in a cab. Uh, well, she says that no cab would stop. I don't know why she can't just call a cab when she's up at James's house. I mean, I guess she's afraid like the second she leaves the house, she's going to be attacked by this vicious, these vicious dogs. Yeah. And she doesn't know that they're attracted to the jacket. So she's going to sleep at James's house. But Elaine, I feel like is a bit prudish here where I feel like the only other time that I can recall her being like this uh, might be where she gets with Tim Watley about the hotel room with the Super Bowl. Uh, she says, okay, I'm sleeping over. Apparently, they have no bed here. It's just a sofa bed that he sleeps on, and they have to sleep head to toe. The Elaine that we know mm-hmm. is never, ever this prudish. Very prudish, yeah. I mean, Elaine last week was like, oh, maestro, please uh, don't stop. Right, yeah. This is, And also, we know she thinks this guy is attractive. Mm-hmm. Maybe she sees the writing on the wall that this is not going anywhere. But head to toe is a little extreme for Elaine. Right. I think you say, okay, hey, look, I just want to sleep over. I want to get to know you better. But I feel like she's like, she's very like uh, forceful about this of like, hey, we have to sleep. The only way I'm sleeping over is we sleep head to toe. I mean, maybe she's just trying to set the ground rules like to let him know that nothing interesting is happening. Yeah. But I, to me, I, I don't know. It does. It seems very out of character for Elaine. It seems very out of character for Elaine. Like, I, I don't mean to like if, if any other person decided that this was the way to go for them, that's fine. But based on, you know, the previous 30 boyfriends that we've seen Elaine interact with, this does seem out of character. Yeah, agreed. OK, so we end up with then in the morning. Uh, first, uh, we end up seeing the Elaine. <laughs> in the bed uh, with James, and she is, like, kicking uh, him in the face. This was actually, uh, uh, speaking of uh, prudish, uh, I guess the opposite of prudish would be, in the notes about nothing, there was a note that popped up on the screen that mentioned about how this scene is very popular with foot fetishists. Rex Ryan's favorite scene from Seinfeld. Oh, that's right. He must, uh... Well, I don't want to judge anybody's, uh anybody's you know predilections or their hobbies or or you know their interests but like the feet thing i never understood no i uh, i don't really get that either i couldn't spot if you showed me two pair of feet i couldn't tell you which ones were were my wife's (laughs) yeah what's a good foot what's a bad foot i'm with you on all that uh but that being said do i need the seinfeld dvd to tell me what are the popular seinfeld scenes with uh different uh pornographic fetishes i feel like some intern slipped that in and nobody fact checked yeah nobody's reading the notes about nothing on the seinfeld season 7 dvd all right so it's 8 30 he was supposed to wake elaine up at 7 15 and don't you have calls to make and he's like i'll make it later so maybe he was not long for the phone service world no first of all it's a bad job for someone who's not really good at getting up in the morning yeah. Like, if I had that job, I would stay up all night, and then I'd go to sleep after I made my calls. I'd be too nervous. Keeve, if I had somebody yeah. kicking me in the face all night, I think I'd be up earlier. Yeah, but that you didn't get a good night's sleep. I've been there. You ever have, like, you never had a kid come into bed in the middle of the night? Oh, please. And you're like, please. what? I, that, that I had that today. Right. I'm saying, so, like, but your kids are tiny. Like, I've had, you know, bigger kids do that, and then, like, you realize, like, oh, there's, like, a, an eighth of, I shouldn't even, like, physically be able to be on this bed anymore. I'm in such a, like a tiny corner of the bed. Uh, so I like, and then you get no, you have to like either like go to a different bed, like end up sleeping in the kid's bed because they're, or like 
sleep on the couch or or you know, get no like a terrible night's sleep. So I've been there with this James. Yeah. Okay. And then we cut to Mr. Morgan, who is also uh, sleeping on the couch. Uh, he missed his wake up call too. Uh, yeah. Listen. At the end of the first of all, Morgan's married. Like unless his wife is leaving an hour before him. Like how is he? How is he oversleeping every single day? Like <laughs> I don't know. Must have some wild nights, uh, Mr. Morgan. <laughs> Okay. Not with Mrs. Morgan from what we've seen. Yeah, from what we've seen. Maybe he's watching those Yankee replays on MSG. All right. Maybe so he's getting really long massages. <laughs> we go back to uh, Mr. Wilhelm at the Yankee Stadium with George and like, where's Morgan? And uh, George is saying like, oh, I got him a wake up service. Wilhelm says, uh, George, you can stop covering for Morgan. We're, we're going to get rid of him. You're going to get his job. Yeah, George actually really has good intentions here. Yeah. Trying to be a solid guy for Morgan, but Wilhelm says, that's it. Enough's enough. You got to get rid of him. You're going to be the new Morgan. I mean, Morgan has a, you know, it was unintentional, but Morgan could easily be in the finale as someone with a gripe against George. He could be. He could be. But like George he directly gets him fired, even though it's <laughs> unintentionally. It is unintentional. So uh, we go to the diner and George very correctly realizes, boy, Morgan has a lot of work to do. I don't want his job. Right. And, and like, like it's, uh, it's explained by the boss later, you know, you don't want, you, like, who wants a, a huge, you know, upgrade in responsibility for a minor <laughs> increase in pay? Right. Uh, so we're at Monk's with George and Elaine and Jerry, and Elaine says Holly keeps calling up that she is going off about Elaine stealing the napkins. Holly seems a little nutty. Yeah, she's nutty. I don't know why Jerry uh, is even going on a second date with her. After the lunch, you know what it is because she didn't like him. So now he's like, now he's like, oh, I need to win her back over, even though I don't like her and I'll break up with her right afterwards. Mm -hmm. You can't have her thinking I'm not a man. Jerry explains that he was using the napkins to spit out the mutton and Elaine realizes that's why the dogs were chasing her. Yeah, it's all tying together. Okay, so Jerry uh, wants to know where his jacket is and she says she left it at James's place. And so Elaine says, yes, she slept there, but they reversed positions so there was no funny business, and the guys are saying, uh, you did what now? Uh, yeah, she was head to toe. Yeah, this is a funny scene with Jerry and George and their like interactions here. Yeah, because uh, for Jerry and George, they feel like that this is um, still problematic, Elaine's sleeping arrangements. Yeah, so he, right, Jerry says your genitals <laughs> are still lined up and head to toe. <laughs> yes, yes. So uh, Elaine doesn't seem to see a problem with this, but... Um, you know, apparently, um, did not seem like there was any funny business that happened at James's house. No, definitely nothing happened except for at Rex Ryan's house when he saw this episode. That right might have been the best night of James's life <laughs> if, he's, if he was Rex Ryan. That's true. Um, but but it doesn't matter because Elaine slept with her back to him, which gets like a great, uh, you know, reaction from the guys that they don't say anything, but they just have this like long knowing look at each other. It's pretty funny. Yeah. All right, so we go back to the Yankee locker room now. Here's Kramer with Paul O'Neill. Paul O'Neill does a pretty good job here. Yeah, there's one or two times he sort of starts speaking when Kramer's not done, which is sort of like the sign of a non-actor, but in general, he's good, yeah. Yeah, for a non-actor, he has a pretty good run here. Uh, I think better than any prior Yankee that we've seen so far. Uh, yeah, we could rank the acting Yankees <laughs> series, but uh, he could be up there. All right. So uh, this is kind of sort of a weird line where Kramer is in the locker room and Paul O'Neill says, I can give you an autograph there, but my pen is kind of screwed up. 
you'd only get like half a pea or something. Yeah, I don't know what that was. I, don't, I have no idea what that a was. Weird but. line. It's a weird line from yeah. Paul O'Neill. Uh, and luckily, uh, he maybe caught, he improvised it. Yeah, Paul O'Neill. He caught him on a good day. He wasn't like you know smashing everything in the clubhouse. Yeah, I mean O'Neill was notoriously like an angry, cranky guy, right? Fiery guy, Paul O'Neill. Fiery is that what you want to say? Uh, Yankee fans love Paul O'Neill. He's like sure, one, but he's one the type of, of guy, the, the most beloved guy. But anytime you know there would be like these Sports Illustrated polls, like which player on the on an opposing team do you like the least and nowadays it would be like aj pierzynski or something like that yeah a he's lot of years the guy who if he's on your team you love him and he's on the other team you hate him yeah he's an instigator <laughs> like woody woodpecker yes okay he's a lot like woody woodpecker yeah i think daniel murphy is like this yeah but murphy i feel like is probably a hateful person off the field uh. <laughs> <laughs> i think dan dan birkin's uh <laughs> he just uh, stopped donating to the podcast listen he knows dan you you listen you 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 it's very hard you have to stomach rooting for him every day dan we know it yeah so wait till you, wait till you see his defense of the playoffs dan yes uh <laughs> we won't be there because uh we're, we're losing six nothing right now all right so then also <laughs> uh paul o'neill uh says like uh like uh so uh you know uh well so what's going on here and kramer says there's a kid in the hospital could you do something to lift his spirits? Could you hit uh, two home runs? Yeah, O'Neill actually does play this well. I, I agree with you. Like he, he's he's really incredulous. And uh, <laughs> what real what Kramer should have done is like, okay, O'Neill promised one, and he asked a friend. He's going to ask a friend on the team to hit one for you. Also, it's a dumb little kid. So <laughs> when so now like when you know Ruben Sierra cranks one out, yeah, you can say like, oh, there we go. O'Neill said that he he mentioned that Sierra was on his list. You know, this yeah. is rookie Derek Jeter. That is friends with O'Neill. Maybe he'll play today. If he hits a home run, that's that's your second home run. Okay. I feel like that's how I would have played it. All right. So uh, that Paul O'Neill is like, what? Why did you tell him two home runs? I'm not even a home run hitter. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> again, he 22 and 95 was a lot. It was, you know, pre like everyone juicing by a year. Yeah. And so then uh, Kramer also a strike shortened season too, Keith. Well, yeah, but you only have to. Oh, right. 22 and not that many at bats is true. But mm -hmm. uh, two in a game. I, I, someone I think wrote in and said that. He did it like once a season on average, two in okay. a game. So you got a 162 chance, basically. All right. So uh, Kramer says, well, Babe Ruth did it. And O'Neill says, no, he didn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's, not, wasn't a, like, he's not calling Babe Ruth a liar, but he's not stupid enough to promise too. <laughs> right. And, and he, right, I think the Ruth like pointing at the home run stuff is, uh, is apocryphal for the most part. Yeah. All right. So then uh, we go back to uh, James uh, that he is pissed off. He calls up Elaine and says, I lost all my 630 clients because of you, uh, because you stuck your feet in my face. Now, not to get all high and mighty, James, but I mean, it wasn't Elaine like, hey, you have to get up. You're like, oh, screw it. I'm going back to sleep. Right. You went back to sleep at 830. What happened to your <laughs> seven o'clock clients, your 715 clients? Like, I'd imagine everyone is firing you today. Yeah. All right, so uh, we go and we see Kramer back in the hospital as the Yankees take the field. And Paul O'Neill, first at bat, boom, home run number one. Yeah, the scenes with Kramer and the kid in the hospital are gold. Yeah, because Kramer wants some juice. Uh, and uh, <laughs> the kid says, uh, after Paul O'Neill hits his first home run, you could have some juice. And again, not a another person in the room the entire time. Not a grown-up <laughs> to be found. I think... 
I think uh, little uh, Bobby's parents have written him off and sadly have gone away. Did Kramer have a harder time getting into Bette Midler's hospital room or this kid's hospital room? Uh, Kramer just has that the, the hospital Kavorka where he can just get into any hospital room. Or the pig man. Uh, yeah, well, he, did he see the pig man in his room? Yeah, he did. You're right. Kramer. Now we have three examples of Kramer getting to hospital rooms that there's no way. Like, people should get fired all three times for letting him in. Okay. So... Here comes Holly. She's coming over to Jerry's house. Uh, she's decided she's going to make pork chops for Jerry for no reason. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, Jerry hates the pork chops, but he never tasted the mutton. So I'm not sure why we're establishing that Holly's the world's worst cook. Oh, I think but I guess he did le- taste the mutton. I mean, it was in his mouth. Did he? Oh, right. I guess he spat it out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, right, you think it's mutton, but Elaine does come in to the apartment and say, oh, what's that smell? So I guess Holly is just a terrible cook. Mm, perhaps. Uh, so... I didn't really get that she was a bad cook until Elaine came in. I just thought that Jerry is with the health concerns, not so much that the right. pork tasted bad. Right. But then Elaine's saying it smells bad. And like, because Jerry should be sucking this up. Like, it's not worth it just to shove it in the, the couch cushions. But if it's bad, he can't get it down his throat. Right. What's he going to do? But he's such a baby that like one pork chop is well, not he is going a, to like, kill him. Well, this is why he's on, that's why the show's about him <laughs> and not about his next door neighbor. Like, he, you know, he, he is a baby. <laughs> He's All a right, huge baby. So uh, Holly went to go see the butcher down the street from Jerry, and uh, Jerry covers and says, uh, "I bet he acted all aloof, like he didn't know me." Uh, she says, uh, "Yeah, a little." He says, "That is so frank." This is another thing. Like w- Jerry didn't say the butcher's name. Yes, like she's, like she's assuming like Jerry could just be like, "Oh, not that butcher. My butcher's on 87th, right. You know, right? Well, you know, in a small town like Manhattan, everybody right. knows uh, the really. One if we've learned one thing from this series. <laughs> It's it's this is like the bar cheers. Everybody knows your name. Yeah. All right. So we get the call here. Uh, and uh, do we know who is who is calling the game? Uh, you know, I wasn't paying attention to the announcer. I don't think it's the Yankees announcer. Mm-hmm. So um, but I, I really don't know. It's a good question. We get the play by play here of long fly ball. It's over Bell's head. Uh, O'Neal round second. And uh, Martinez throws it over to Alomar. So we're, uh, we're playing Cleveland here. Yep. Yeah, sure. The Indians. Okay. And uh, the Yankees take the lead on an inside the park home run. R- truly, you know, a miracle. Yeah. Paul O'Neill also not. I mean, he, I'd say he's average speed, but he probably didn't hit a lot of inside the parkers in his career. How many inside the park home runs in Paul O'Neill's career? Does it over under two and a half? Two and a half is a lot for any non like Reyes type of person. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll look that up as we keep talking. Okay. All right, so uh, Kramer has the photo. He's about to walk away, and uh, the official scorer rules it a triple and a throwing error. Now, Wheels, if this game is indeed at Yankee Stadium, was it a real douche move on the official scorer to change O'Neal's homer to a triple and a throwing error? Doesn't that feel like a real... Uh, against the home team call by the official scorer. Oh, yeah, you should not be doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and O'Neal especially is an angry guy. Like, he's going to go up to the scoring box after the game and yell at this guy. Who's a team employee? Like, there's no reason why he would he would do anything other than just give him the home run. Yeah. And also, from the sound of it, it sounded like it was going to be a close play. He was probably going to score. But then Martinez throws it over the head of the catcher. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, he was going to score anyway. Probably, you know, it's not like the air, it's not like you ran home because of the throw. The yeah. throw was just over. So I feel like you have to give him credit anyway. Give him the home run. I get it. If the game's in Cleveland and the official scorer there wants to sort of like save, like you know, the run for Cleveland, like oh, this was an unearned run. But 
you know, this is a real douche move. Steals a home run away from O'Neal. Yeah, I mean, but a lot of times these things get changed after the game also. Oh, so maybe after the game. It uh, could have been, you know, changed in the official scorebook. Yeah, I mean, it happens a lot. You can you can argue with, you know, there's certain type like an A-Rod will always, you know, fight with the official score and 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 try and get things changed afterwards. Not now. Like he's not getting a pop up change to a line out anymore. But back mm-hmm. in the day, he would, back in the day, he would do that. Yeah. All right. So Kramer ends up sort of like wrestling the photo away from the kid. Uh, we end up seeing that uh, he does get it to George later on in the episode. So uh, Holly and Jerry, uh, they are going over the pork chop. Uh, She asks him, is that the way you like the pork chop? He says, I like mine with an angioplasty. Again, very dramatic over eating a pork chop. Yeah, you're you're not going to die, Jerry. It's not like you just went to the doctor and you said you have to cut out the... uh... (laughs) Right, right. Uh, Otherwise, Jerry seems to be in perfect health, but uh, one pork chop is really putting him over the edge. And so... Elaine comes in and this is when she says something stinks to high uh, and it's Holly. And there you go. She is uh, cooking pork chops for Jerry as Elaine brings over his jacket. Uh, yeah. And it's funny, like they're interacting, but they really hate each other, Elaine and Holly. Like yeah. I like more on this relationship. Yeah, they really uh, do not care for each other. And uh, we end up with, uh, you know, Holly is asking where are the napkins and Jerry basically says, hey, we can argue all night over the napkins. The point is, in the modern world, it doesn't seem relevant. Uh, yeah, I do like Jerry trying to, like, uh, shove this conversation out the window. Yeah. All right. So back in George's office, uh, Wilhelm wants to know, where's the birthday card? And George, like, steps up and says, look, I take full responsibility here. But Kramer walks in with the framed birthday card, uh, tells George that, by the way, Paul O'Neill has to catch a fly ball in his hat. Uh, yeah, really a great line. <laughs> like, I was cracking up when, when he said that. Does that count if you catch a fly ball in your hat? Uh, I believe uh, one, one of our listeners has the uh, scoring when we get the rule. Has the answer we, on that. When we get to the uh, mailbag. All right. Uh, so Kramer says this is much better. What, are we just going to stick it in an envelope? Yeah, real, really wasn't a great idea. Like, this is also like a billionaire. You don't just stick things in an envelope. You have to operate on their level and do thing, you know, something fancy. I guess so. Uh, Morgan is like, well, you screwed me again, Costanza. How am I supposed to sign the card now while it's under glass? Well, it's actually very easy, Mr. Morgan. Uh, you just uh, open the back of the frame, take the card out, and write your name on it. Are you sure? I was thinking that. Is, is it that easy, though? I'd be nervous to do that. <laughs> it was professionally framed. I, I, th- I mean, I don't think it's like uh, hermetically sealed or anything. No, but I would still be, like they're not opening it up for this guy who's getting fired. <laughs> I guess so. I guess they're going to fire Morgan anyway, so they didn't, uh, they're not going to open it up for him. All right. So uh, now here comes James at Jerry's house. He's got the dogs. They come in. They're wearing the bandanas around their neck. And Holly's like, hey, what is this about? These dogs are wearing uh, Grandma Memma's napkins. Which, by the way, like, so James sees something in the pocket of what I guess he thought was Elaine's jacket, but is really Jerry's. Mm -hmm. And either this is literal garbage, right? It's napkins that are garbage with meat in them. Yeah. Or it's valuable and it's hers, right? Mm -hmm. Either way, it's not a dog bandana. It's either garbage (laughs) or something that he needs to return. Yes. But uh, listen, this James is not really a winner. (laughs) Yeah. All right. And so... Then uh, we find out that, um, you know, the James says that, you know, there was uh, somebody stuffed uh, strange meat in the pockets. That's why the dogs ripped out the pockets of the jacket. And then the dogs go and uh, find the pork chop that Jerry 
is putting into the Christmas. I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to feed pork to a dog also. I think that's also uh, a no-no. They keep kosher? Mm, I, I think that's bad for a dog. It's like chocolate. It's it's on the no-no list for yeah, dogs. Yeah, I, I think it's more. I think it's more of a the dog can get worms issue. Uh, weird because you you told me you fed Reyes pork like four nights in a <laughs> row last week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. So, uh, in terms of uh, what foods are toxic to dog, uh, all pork is toxic, and only white meat, chicken, and turkey should be used. Uh, white pork shouldn't be fed to your dog. That's I think it's a. I think it's like a, a worm thing for dogs. All right, that's good to know. Yeah, uh, not a lot of pork dog food out there. I, I would that, two things I would never know about dog food. Also, yeah, dog food. I mean, I don't have a dog, and I, I don't do pork. So okay, all right. Anyway, so uh, we end up then sort of like a weird beat to end the episode where Holly asks, "Do you always stuff meat in your pockets?" And Jerry says, "Uh, oh, sometimes I use the sofa." And then sort of like we go out and then just have the tag after that. It's not the best joke of the episode, but, uh, you know, it, I do like when they end the relationships. I don't like when, like, the relationship has no natural ending and then the next week they're just not dating anymore. Okay. So we get the tag here at the end of the episode. And, again, it's uh, George Steinbrenner talking to George. And he says about how, you know, Morgan is going to be fired. George is going to get his job. It's a lot more work. Not a lot more money, uh, but it's a lot of responsibility. And then he starts listing off all the people that he has to fire and, uh, you know, rattles off, you know, Yogi Berra, Lou Piniella, Bucky Dent, yada, yada. Uh, you know, Billy Martin, again, he mentions Gene Michael, uh, Buck Showalter. Uh, uh, George, you didn't hear that from me. And a very uh, prescient comment here from <laughs> the fake George Steinbrenner. Uh, yes, because Buck Showalter is about to get fired. Yes. I'm sure it says that in the notes about nothing. Yes, well, I recall, I remember uh, 1995 uh, very well after the five-game loss versus the Seattle Mariners. And I think it was a bit of an upset that, I mean, here's Buck Showalter, brings the Yankees to the playoffs for the first time in, what, 15 years? Uh, Yeah, 14 or 15. 14 or 15 years, and brings the Yankees back, and uh, they lost to the Mariners and then gets fired. Yeah, I mean, it was an upset, though. It was like a brutal series. It was a pretty good Mariners team, to be fair. Yeah, but yeah, sure. And listen, George's M.O. back then, not George Costanza's, the boss mm-hmm. of George's, it was the fire managers like they, you know, he fired Billy Martin however many times, like he mentions in the scene. Yeah. Uh, amazingly, Buck Showalter still managing 20 yeah. years later. Yeah. Uh, and still uh, not a lot of love for the Yankees. Who, Buck? Yeah. No, doesn't love the Yankees, <laughs> but uh, he's still in the same division. Yeah. He's yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's on Elaine Bennis's team now. Yeah. He was uh, with the Diamondbacks uh, for a while. Right. And then uh, he went to then then he was gone, gone from Diamondbacks and then uh, the Orioles uh, picked him up. Yeah, but the Diamondbacks won the year after he left. The Yankees won the year after he left. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. He was like he started the exp- the Diamondbacks when they were the expansion team. Correct. Right. Yeah. They won their fourth season. He was only there for three. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so uh, that's the uh, Buck Show Walter of it all. Okay. Uh, let's go through uh, everything else uh, for this episode uh, in terms of uh, the. Ranking the storylines or grading out the storylines. I guess uh, let's start with George and everything going on here with uh, Mr. Morgan and the wink. Yeah, the wink is pretty classic. Uh, pumpkin fly, baby. I'm going to give George an A. Give it an A. There's not a ton here with the wink. We end up with sort of like uh, handing off the baton to Kramer with the storyline with Paul O'Neill. But yeah, it's great. All the stuff with George is very funny in this episode. You know, I wanted to say also in like the last scene, George gives as he's walking out of Steinbrenner's office, he gives Steinbrenner the OK thumbs up type thing mm-hmm. when he says, oh, you didn't hear from me. That has to be a wink, right? Oh, why doesn't George wink at Steinbrenner? 
Yeah, does he is he walking backwards at that point? He's, he's out the door at that point, and he sticks his hand back in. But, mm. I mean, we could solve that problem. He just stays in the room for another yeah. split second. Yeah. That's got to be a wink. Unless uh, the joke is that he's not winking anymore, and that's why he gives him the okay with his eyes not even visible yeah, anymore. Yeah, that's fair. It's just that in the episode up until that point, the winks are always when George means no, and people interpret that uh, a no with a wink as a yes, whereas right. but, this but is But knowing George, he yes. might go tell him also. Right, <laughs> right. Uh, it seems like a missed opportunity. It seems like they could have done something with the wink, but I think that they felt like uh, they thought that would be funny to get that Buck Showalter uh, joke in there. Yeah. I think you could have had them both, <laughs> which really turned out to be a good call, because uh, if they reran this episode in the spring, it's like, oh, yeah, they really nailed it, uh, which paved the way for the Joe Torre era. So uh, well, if I was a writer, I try and get in a lot of sports predictions into my episodes. Yeah, you have to. <laughs> All right. Uh, then in terms of Kramer with the kid, got to be an A, right? Yeah. Oh, the classic for sure. Classic stuff. All right. Then Elaine with the wake up call guy. Uh, the idea is funny. Not any bad scenes. Uh, I'll give it a B plus. Yeah, I thought it was very ordinary to me. I felt like I'll give it a C. Okay. And then Jerry with Holly, the meat eater. I, you know, he's servicing again. Jerry doesn't have the main storyline in this episode, even though he sort of has where it ends. Um, and Holly's not super likable, but he does play an important part in the mutton stuff. I'll give Jerry a B. Okay. I think uh, grading on a curve there, uh, Wheels, I feel like I will give it a C. Okay. All right. All right. Now, let's get into uh, the favorite game in all of podcasting. Let's talk about uh, what my prediction is for where this episode ends up for you on the list. And I will go. I'm trying to get within 10. Yes. 10 on either side. Uh, I will say that I will go uh, much like jerry's girlfriend number 45 i'll say number 45 in your rankings oh you just missed being outside the top 10 uh what is just it? missed it's 34 so 34. you're off by 11 okay. should have gone with the 31 all right uh there you go okay let's get into our email mailbag seinfeld at post show recaps and uh knock out some of these emails just like paul o'neill knocking homers out of the park yeah and the the uh readers or listeners or whatever they are did a great job this week on short notice sending in emails Okay. All right. So Johnny DeSavera writes in to say Kramer does realize that a ball caught in his hat is an illegal play. I don't think he cares. No, he just promised. All he <laughs> did was promise that he'd catch the ball in his hat. Yeah. So a catching the ball in your hat. So what would happen? That's just a hit? Yeah. It's like a live ball. Okay. Nothing happened. Yeah. I bet you could probably trick the runner, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, you could trick the runner. What? And then just throw him out? Yeah. Like what? When he's out of the base path, like I'm not sure what's your plan there. Yeah, I think that's sort of like, oh, the runner like start like walking back to the base and then just like unless it's an illegal thing and it's like an automatic double. But I don't think so. I don't know. Nobody will know what the ground rules are on that. And I I couldn't. There's really no stats. I'm going to ask someone from Elias if they have any stats. There's no stats on the inside the park home runs I've been looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'll I'll get a I'll get a baseball ruling on catching the ball with your hat for next week, too. Okay. All right. Uh, What about Hunter Shaw? All right. So there is this weird thing where the IMDb for this episode says that James' telephone voice is Peter Dinklage. Hmm. And there's no real source for it. And anybody could write anything in an IMDb. Uh, so a few people did write in. but Based on the fact that Foreskin Gump is on IMDb? I, I'm not sure what the connection is. People think it sounds like Dinklage. 
But okay. anyway, uh, Hunter, Hunter says, I don't care what IMDb says. That's not Peter Dinklage's voice. It sounds like Brian McNamara to me. I think he's guest starred in every TV show ever made for the last 25 years. So he's somewhat recognizable. Yeah, it's, it's not Dinklage. Okay. I don't think Dinklage's ever heard of Seinfeld. He doesn't seem like that type of guy. Hmm. I don't know. All right, let's go to Lindsay. Uh, Lindsay has a question. Wants to know, uh, how do you guys feel about grapefruit? My partner eats them all the time, and he claims to genuinely like them. I'm not on board. Keeve, have you had grapefruit? I've never had a, a grapefruit, no. I've had grapefruit. Um, I used to, like, I think my mom used to, like, uh, get them uh, from time to time. I think the move is if you could put, like, a like a spoonful of, like, sugar on top of the grapefruit. Yeah, that's what some people do. It's pretty good, but I think it sort of defeats the purpose of, like, eating a grapefruit. Oh, this is healthy. Uh, if you put sugar on it, again, like most things, you put sugar on it, and it's very good, but... I think that uh, grapefruit on its own, uh, not good. Grapefruit juice, not that, ta- not terrible. But that probably no. Also I like I like grapefruit flavored things sometimes. I like I do like grapefruit ju- uh, juice, but uh, I have a. Uh, I think all melons are an atrocity, so grapefruit is on that list. Mm-hmm. Okay, real hot take there with uh, from I'm, Keith. Oh, I'm anti melon. Mm. All right, what about Liz? Uh, Liz says uh, the writing for her was lazy for certain parts of the episode. She says it's lazy because George takes off his glasses right before Jerry spoons into the grapefruit. Mm -hmm. George brings the birthday card to Jerry's place. Why didn't he leave it at the office? Morgan wasn't going to be at Jerry's. And then Jerry takes his George takes his glasses off repeatedly every time he's going to wink. She doesn't recall George being the type of person who's constantly taking his glasses off. But he has to be that person in this episode to showcase the wink. Listen, his eyes hurting. Sometimes when my eyes hurting, I also take my glasses off. Yeah. So lazy writing. The first time around, the there's no reason for George to take the glasses off. But you think that once there is some sort of irritation in the eye, it's commonplace for him to take the glasses off. Yeah, I'm always rubbing. If like my eye hurts, I'm always going to take them off to rub my eye or something. Yeah. The card thing doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, I guess that Morgan wasn't in the office. I don't know why George. Yeah, had that's the card. never explained. Well, the only thing is that the that George was taking the card from place to place. He had to take it to Buck Showalter's office. So he had to take it to. So maybe there was some other reason why he had the card on him yeah that's a good point okay so then craig from vancouver writes in to say grapefruit might have the highest hassle to prepare versus enjoyment of eating variants of any fruit in the world i mean you have to cut it and use a spoon that's too much hassle for me uh keeve do you agree is that more work than any other fruit i feel like watermelon has a lot of fruit oh watermelon yeah um I you got to get all the rubber bands and then, you know, put on a million ones till it pops and then you eat it. Yeah. And that. I, just, right. I saw that on YouTube. I'm not sure if that's what everyone does for. Have you ever had a pineapple? Yeah. You need like a big knife, right? For the pineapple. Coconut. Yeah. No, that big deal. Grapefruit. You cut it in half and get a spoon. It's easy. Yeah. Th- this is why I'm against all melons. And I'm, I'm not even sure. Is pineapple a melon? I don't think pineapple is a melon. Well, it's in the melon family, although I, I don't mind pineapple. So maybe that's OK. Yeah. I would say that a grapefruit is even easier than an orange. I, really, a perfect peel of an orange is like my biggest life goal at this point. Mm, yeah, <laughs> tricky. Uh, Craig also says that the back and forth between Elaine, Jerry, and George is such a funny scene. The best part is when Elaine says, uh, yeah, but I had my back to him, followed by Jerry and George exchanging looks. George's wink would have been good in this scene, yes. That's not a bad point, although here it's really like a positive wink, like a, an intentional wink versus an, an accidental wink, which in, I think in my scenario works because it's the end of the episode, but here... It's just now now we don't know why George is winking at that point if he's winking during the scene. Yeah, Uh, there's also a good illustration of what Elaine is talking about in the film Pulp Friction. Okay. (laughs) yes, they have a good uh, head to toe. They they don't sleep head to toe in that in that. uh, (laughs) Right. Yeah. Uh, With her that she had her back to the guy in uh, Pulp Friction. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, what about uh, Max? Max says, is everyone in Elaine's family obsessed with masculinity? We meet her dad, and he immediately judges, judges Jerry and George for not being very tough. We meet her cousin, and she wants everyone to be constantly eating meat. Meanwhile, Elaine's longest-term boyfriend is Putty, a mechanic that's super macho. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad point. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, and that... Elaine is pretty girly, so I hear what he's, what, you know. Yeah, but Elaine's also like a tomboy. Yeah, is she? I think so. I mean, I think that, you know, she Just, is, She hangs out with guys. She hangs out with guys, yeah. She's, you know, uh, not very, you know, girly girl about, like, uh, too much about, like, uh, fashion and, and stuff oh, like that. Oh, definitely not. She's not too much about fashion. <laughs> that I agree with. Yeah. All right. Uh, Michael Clark, who Akiva has tagged the frontrunner correspondent. Yes. Anytime we have, like, a thing about the Yankees, the Cowboys... I just got an email. He's a big Golden State Warriors fan now. I'm not sure why. Uh, here he loves Hamilton also. Oh, uh, yeah, he loves Hamilton. Uh, last week he was talking about how great uh, Independence Day 2 is, but I, I see that t- tweet was deleted. I don't know. <laughs> okay, so he says, Paul O'Neill hit 22 home runs in the strike short in 1995 season, so his assessment of not being a home run hitter is inaccurate. He had 15 career multi-homer games, so uh, pretty much won a season. Yeah, that's good research. I, I think, uh, yeah, you really had an under 1% chance for Kramer to come through there, but uh, it almost happened. And he also mentions the prophecy of Buck Showalter being fired. It's truly a miracle. <laughs> Although really, like a third of all baseball managers get fired at the end of every season. Okay, uh, Susie also says, please ask Jerry when you get him on the podcast if he still dislikes meat and order salad in, on dates. You know, it's uh, weird. That, oh, like on if you ever see like famous people who are vegetarian listings. Yes. Jerry's on there. But like I saw I found the tweet of him saying I'm not a vegetarian. Hmm. Okay. So I don't know why people assume he's a vegetarian just from this episode or something. But he's on all these lists. But he claims he's not one. OK. All right. Uh, what about Dan, the benefactor? Yeah, he writes in. He says, when Holly serves the mutton at her house, she pours everyone white wine to go with the meal. For all the shaming Holly does to Jerry for not wanting to eat meat, I think serving white wine with red meat is less acceptable in society. Less acceptable than serving mutton altogether? I don't know about that. Granted, mm-hmm. I've never had mutton, and I'm not quite sure what it is, but it surely must be paired with red wine. See, I would disagree. And I'm not a big wine person, um, no. but I kind of feel like that lamb is a kind of a gray area. I feel like that you would serve white wine with fish, certainly, and red wine with beef, but if if it, what about pork? Do you serve red wine with pork? I kind of feel like that. That's like a what they call it the other white meat. Would you serve white wine with it? And I kind of feel like that lamb and mutton is really a gray area. Yeah, Do you treat I'm, it like beef. I'm no sommelier. I, I I drink four cups of wine a year at the Passover meal. Mm, that's it. I don't know. So somebody smarter than me can maybe answer that question. And then uh, let's go to uh, Akiva has labeled him in the show notes. The 21st century's greatest monster, Alex Chester. <laughs> Why is Chester uh, such a monster? Uh, he wrote some mean things in this email coming up. <laughs> okay, so you're just like uh, setting the table here, much yes. like Grandma Memma. So right. uh, he wants to know, would you rather date the deaf or the blind? This is an easy one for me. My wife already never listens to me, so she might as well be deaf. There you go. <laughs> oh, boy. You could take that to the borscht belt. You could do that. What's the lady on The View? <laughs> Joy Behar? Yeah, Joy Behar would, would buy that joke from you for 20 bucks. <laughs> Which characters would you be in the Archie universe? I think Wheels Wienaker is a Reggie slash Dilton combo. Oh, boy. That's a, a hate <laughs> crime, that joke. <laughs> okay. Uh, then uh, Rob is Pop because he's the friendly overseer of the whole RHAP gang. 
<laughs> okay. Pop Tate. <laughs> See, now you don't know. <laughs> I'm not an Archie guy. You're not an Archie guy. So my, I have a few options for Chester. Are you going to be annoyed if I say something and you have to take it out of the podcast? I mean, but then but don't say it. <laughs> okay, so then I won't say it. But uh, it, it has my joke for Chester has no chance of staying in, so I won't say it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'll say uh, Chester's the love child if uh, Moose and Big Ethel made it. That would <laughs> right. be Chester. No idea what that means. Yeah, uh, the George and Kramer storyline, Chester says, uh, makes no sense from George's perspective. Why did George bring the Yankee birthday card to Jerry's apartment? Anyway, well, if... George had to, like, I don't know from the offices to the stadium if George wasn't going back to his office, if he was just leaving from getting all the signatures. Like, I could see a scenario where he might have had to take the card with him on the way out. Yeah, it could have been explained, but I don't think it's impossible for him to have done it. Yeah. All right. Then two, how does George let Kramer walk out of Jerry's apartment with the envelope, especially after he just told Kramer he wouldn't risk his job security with the Yankees over this? Maybe Susan called. Yeah, he's like absent-minded. Mm-hmm. And again, pulp is bothering him. He's got a little uh, issue going on. Yeah, he can on. barely see straight. When you're a guy with glasses and you can't see, it really affects the rest of your day. And then finally, George seemingly knows Kramer has it since he shows up at Kramer's to pick it up. That's a good point. Yeah, but I, it took him a while to sort of put the pieces together, just like with the pulp, that he didn't realize that he was winking. Somehow he didn't. I don't know how you don't realize you're winking, but mm-hmm. he didn't realize. Okay. Uh, Chester also mentions that Elaine grew up in Baltimore. What the hell is Holly talking about when she says that grandma used to come to old Homestead uh, Steakhouse in Manhattan all the time with Grandma Memma as little girls? I don't know. Did she say Elaine used to go also? I think she says that Grandma Memma used to take us here all the time. Oh, yeah. Not Elaine. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) said Elaine didn't tell you about that. So it's possible (laughs) Elaine was involved in some of these trips. But the drive to Baltimore from Baltimore to New York is short enough that it's very reasonable to on a Sunday drive to New York, go to a Broadway show, go out to dinner and go home. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not crazy. All right. Uh, Then uh, Chester picks up on the loose dogs chasing Elaine through the streets of Manhattan. All of a sudden, Manhattan is overrun by stray dogs. Listen, Giuliani hadn't fully cleaned it up yet. Yeah. Also, then uh, Chester mentions about how he made fun of George's bedroom situation a few weeks ago. But James has uh, nothing but a fold out sofa bed. No wonder he can't get any women who aren't willing to sleep head to toe. Yeah, it is like it's a studio, I guess. Like why With two dogs he, in there also? Two, unless he has a roommate that we just never saw, because it looks like there's some rooms back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, not okay. a great situation. Inviting ladies over to sleep on the couch. Yeah, and then finally, uh, Chester says, uh, "Let's just accept that Kramer somehow sneaks into the Yankee locker room. How does he spend so much time in Bobby's hospital room by himself? Presumably, Bobby has someone who loves him, uh, who bought the Yankee card for him. So where are his parents while he's suffering in the hospital?" This is a Westerosi-level parenting fail. At least he didn't say Planetos. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Planetos. <laughs> oh, boy. Did he make that up? I, I, I don't think he made that up. <laughs> but you would never use that word because you have self-respect. I, I hadn't used it previously, but I believe that uh, it is a term. It, it okay. is a term that is used. Fair enough. <laughs> I do watch a lot of Game of Thrones YouTube videos. And you never hear the word planetos. It rarely comes up. Okay. Uh, but uh, so that being said, uh, what is Chester going to do now that he doesn't have 20 Game of Thrones podcasts I don't know. a week to listen to? He's going to maybe uh, solve some of the world's problems. Oh, no. He's going to create a lot of the world's problems. <laughs> All right. Uh, Keith, uh, what's yes. the hashtag today? I think foreskin gump has to be it. <laughs> if someone's not comfortable with that, you could just you could just uh, F gump. F gump. We'll know F-gump what it is. F gump is fine. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. Uh, very good stuff. Uh, F. Gump, what do you have that, like uh, 84 on your uh, top 100 movie rankings? Uh, 88. I, I hear someone was very upset about that. My wife was outraged. Uh, <laughs> I'm just happy someone's listening. I'll ask her if she might want to see a, a different version of the Forrest Gump, a different retelling of the Forrest Gump story. <laughs> Casually put it on tonight. As I'll be sleeping on the couch like Mr. Morgan and see what happens. Just right. Put it on and leave the room. We'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, uh, Wheels, what else? Uh, so, what's going up next week? Uh, next week, we have uh, the hot tub. We got uh, John Paul running the marathon. George starts cursing. Kramer gets a hot tub. We got a good time. All fun stuff uh, to be had. Only two weeks away from the soup Nazi. Uh, yeah, really, uh, we're going to peak soon. Okay, good. Peak, peak Seinfeld post-show recap coming. Of course, uh, we always appreciate when you leave us your feedback and star ratings on our iTunes page. Go to postshowrecaps.com slash Seinfeld iTunes or search for the Seinfeld post-show recap on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher to subscribe. Keeve, uh, anything else? Follow Akiva on Twitter. He's at Keeve26. Uh, 32 Fans podcast also available on iTunes. And um, yeah, we're, we're off to the races. Yeah, like 60-something more to go, and then yeah. we're done. And, and next week, uh, yeah, uh, we're going to be off to the New York Marathon. Uh, yeah, closest I ever get to running a marathon. We'll be talking <laughs> about it next week. Yeah, we're on a three-year marathon right now. Uh, yes. Yeah, right now we're coming in. We, you know what we could be? You ever hear those stories about like the lady who takes a cab from like mile 8 to mile 25? Yeah. That's my yes. idea. I want to just like skip a season and say that we did it, and no By one the will way, follow us on it. I did see a news article this week about a dog that like walked 111 miles to get back to. I saw that. But you know what? It made like national news and it was just as long. And how long did it take the dog? Three hours in the middle of the night? No, it really was 15 days. Yeah, exactly. Not (laughs) it didn't. It didn't come back by sunrise by the time James was making the calls for people to wake up in the morning. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks so much to Scott St. Pierre, uh, who uh, who knows? He might be editing this uh, as we are in Chicago this week uh, for the uh, podcast movement and the Rahafcon. Then I will speak with you next week, Eve, when we go through everything coming up in the hot tub next week. So looking forward to reading your comments on postshowrecaps.com. Take care, everybody. Bye.